You're listening to Love Your City. It's a Movement Australia podcast. We believe that communities can be transformed as a unified church in every city or town lives and proclaims the gospel into every sphere of society. We'll tell stories from where this is already happening. We'll dig into the Bible to better understand God's heart for cities and towns. And we'll discuss practical strategies. Because no matter where you live, a gospel movement can happen. Today I'm joined by Luke Greenwood, all the way from Poland. Luke is the European Director for Steiger. Last year he authored and wrote a book called Global Youth Culture, The Spiritual Hunger of the Largest Unreached Culture Today. Welcome to you, Luke. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to reconnect with you. I think we met last year at a Movement Day um, event in Dubai, <laughs> of all places. That's right, yeah. Seems like a long time ago now, but yeah. It, it sure doesn't feel like another world away when we were all allowed together. Um, but no, great to be with you. And I remember hearing you speak at that conference and just um, being struck by your passion, particularly around the global youth culture, which we'll chat about a bit uh, in a minute, but um, just tell us a bit more about Steiger and um, who, who, what you do there, just to give us some context. Yeah, definitely. Steiger is a mission um, that works in a, around a, close to 100 cities around the world. Um, we uh, set up teams with uh, young people, young adults who are reaching that demographic outside the church. So it's focused on evangelism, but also discipleship and church partnership. Um, but the, the key of it is understanding that the, the culture of uh, young people and young adults outside the church has become um, like a gap between, between them and the church and, and the need to really go to them and communicate the message of the gospel in a way they can understand today. Um, and also uh, form bridges with the global youth culture um, so that they can have an opportunity to get to know Jesus before maybe they're ready to commit to be a member of a local church or something like that. And so we're really trying to bridge that gap culturally and, and just reach uh, young people in the cities today. Yeah, so important. Um, we have a mutual friend who used to, uh, my good friend Anna Webster, uh, Ballantyne, who used to be involved with Steiger. Oh, yeah. And she would share amazing yeah. stories of what you guys did going into nightclubs in Brazil. Uh, what was it, Madam Satan? Um, taking the yeah, gospel. Well, she used to tour with one of our bands. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was the drummer for, for that band and her husband was the bass player. It was uh, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, she, that particular um, tour with Madam Satan was, was really a, a crazy experience because um, it was early 2000s and the band was touring Sao Paulo, Brazil, uh, and there was a strong goth scene at that time. And so the band was getting into goth clubs and, and different kinds of music venues. And it was incredible, the response to the gospel in that time. I mean, I, that was around about the time I was joining in. And I remember seeing for the first time what, was, what God was doing through that. I ended up going into like a church retreat center that somebody had told me about. There was a band playing and I, and I went, it was kind of in the middle of nowhere. And, but when I walked in, I realized that it wasn't the usual crowd. There weren't any church people around. It was a bunch of like people that looked very eccentric and different. They were, and later I found out they were from the goth scene. And what it was that the, the band had been touring and um, they had shared Jesus and then said, if you want to know more, come meet us at this weekend. Mm -hmm. 
And so there was all these people from clubs and, and, and from the goth scene coming there for a weekend because they wanted to know more about Jesus and just seeing the spiritual hunger in them um, and wanting to, to understand more was incredible. Uh, I hadn't seen anything like it before. And that was kind of what made me want to join in. And that's why later on I joined the band and everything. So. Yeah. Uh, so cool, um, yeah, being able to present the gospel in a way that is applicable and, as you said, bridge the gap. Tell us a bit about this gap that has occurred between um, the global youth culture and where we are today as a church, by and large. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been something that's been happening for quite a while. Um, and now, you know, we say it's the, the youth culture, but really it's the, the whole culture of society in cities um, around the world. It's the impact of secularism. It's the shift in mindset that's happened right from, I mean, even you could trace that back to um, to the Enlightenment and just how um, we've changed our perspective on the world from being um, a faith-centered culture to um, a culture that is more based on humanism and secularism. And so, I mean, even in the 70s, Francis Schaeffer was talking about this shift in worldview and the effects that this would have in society and was already having in society. And today what we see is um, people are coming from a humanistic perspective and, and the younger generations are growing up completely in that, in the schools, in the universities. This is what, what's being taught, um, a worldview that puts me at the center, um, my choice and my personal freedom as the number one value. Mm -hmm. And so when, they're coming, when people come in contact with the gospel, with Christianity, um, th it's, it's like coming in contact with a completely different worldview because there's, you know, and they'll ask questions like, well, how do you know that, that that's the answer or that's the truth? And they're coming from a relativistic perspective and they're, they're saying, well, maybe there's something out there, but I, I get to choose what I believe. And so don't, don't come and tell me what to believe. And there are a number of um, ideas or, or even lies in a sense that have come into culture and that drive our culture and as a follower of Jesus, if I don't understand where people are at, it'll feel like we're talking a different language. And that's why I talk about a gap. And for me, it was really interesting to, to realize this because my parents were missionaries um, and I grew up in Brazil um, because of that. And uh, then later on in life, I went and studied missiology myself. And so I kind of grew up in this context of understanding what missions is about, that missions is about crossing a cultural gap. It's going, you know, traditionally to another country and understanding that, you know, these people need to understand the gospel in their context. So there's the whole talk about contextualization and how to help people understand the gospel in a way makes sense to them. But then I, I started realizing, wait a minute, my peers at university are, are, are a cultural gap from where I stand as a follower of Jesus. And are we doing the same kind of missionary efforts that we did for a hundred years before that in going to China or to indigenous tribes or to places where, you know, all the unreached people groups that, that was, that was talked about, like in, in uh, the beginning of Laz the Lausanne movement, for example, in 1974, when they did that big gathering of church leaders from around the world and mission leaders. And they said, one of the big things they said was, there are so many unreached people groups, we have to go to them. And, uh, and so I started applying that same mindset, thinking, what about society today in this increasingly, this growing urbanized culture and the young people growing up in that who have never had contact 
really with the gospel in a way they could understand. They've never been part of a church, and Christianity seems so alien to them. It's like a different culture in another language. And so I started trying to bring that um, into that context. And, and to be honest, it's not a new missiological thing. This is a biblical thing, right? This is what the Bible has always um, talked about. And this is the heart of God has always been crossing barriers to get to people. And so it's trying to understand, okay, how, do, how is, does God feel about the culture around us today and the way people are seeing the world today? And how can we come to them um, in, in a way that Jesus, I believe, already is in going to people's hearts? How can we get to where they are? How can we understand the questions they're asking? What, what are the, these lies or these ideas that they're, they're thinking about? And how can we challenge that? How can we challenge culture in a deep way, in an intelligent way, and, and then bring the gospel in a loving way, in a way that people that really connects with people's hearts. Yeah. So listening to us talk right now will be um, leaders, Movement Day leaders, um, city leaders, pastors uh, in Melbourne, big cities like Melbourne, Sydney in Australia. Then there might be some um, from tiny little towns with only three or 4,000. Um, but you would say the youth culture, in uh, whether it's in Melbourne or Timbuktu, it's the same culture, isn't it? Yeah, totally. That's why, you know, using that term global is really to try to emphasize that, to realize how it's become um, a predominant thing, not just looking at different sized towns. I mean, the Internet did that. I guess there was a time where you could say city culture um, and and the, the rural culture, or the smaller town culture is very different. And now that's becoming less different because of Internet and the media and how easy easily accessible information is so young people are growing up sharing the same posts watching the same videos um listening to the same music and that all, all of that is culture and it molds the way we think and the way we see life so it's coming at us from all angles it's in our it's very much in our education system so we'll grow up being told you know, uh, religion is, you know, you can choose to have a religion if you want to, but it's personal choice and it's something that's on the, on the uh, kind of on the fringe of society. It's not at the center of the conversation. Um, and then you grow up surrounded by, uh, so in education, you've got that worldview, that's that humanistic one I mentioned before. And in culture around us, you've got the consumer culture and those really walk hand in hand um, and, and kind of combine and, and make this, this really um, overwhelmingly influential way of living and way of seeing life that is distant from Christian culture. And it's, the, it's um, reality in, in any town or city around the world. I mean, it's interesting to observe this in the Middle East, for example. Uh, you'll have more traditional values in the, the um, older generations in, in the families. But when you get to university age, uh, they're on the streets protesting because they have a different worldview. Mm. Um, you know, I've, I've met with, you know, young, young people, young adults in in Lebanon or in Turkey, uh, who are listening to the same music I was in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and uh, thinking in a similar way to the rest of the world. They'll, they, you know, I had some young guys wearing like heavy metal t-shirts in, in Beirut who are from the Hezbollah neighborhood. And I said, aren't you guys Muslim? And they said, well, we're Muslim on our ID cards, but that's what <laughs> our parents believed in. We don't believe this anymore. And I'm like, well, that's the same thing I'm hearing in Europe, in South America, anywhere. Um, people are sharing a worldview, and that, that's uh, something we need to really address as a church, I think. Yeah, so what would you say are some of your effective ways of uh, connecting the gospel, bridging that gap between the current uh, generation? Yeah, I think that 
we try to not focus too much on specific methodology because it changes so much. Um, we look a lot at principles. One of our core things as a, as a mission is to infuse in our teams, in our, our, our missionaries around the world, biblical principles that will encourage them to constantly find new ways to communicate. And so we, our teams around the world will kind of follow three concepts. One, that we need to know and understand the scene. And we talk about the cultural scene in the city or the youth scene in the city. And we encourage our people to be going out or the churches that we work with to be engaging in the secular cultural scene outside the church world and really being part of people's lives, trying to understand the questions they're asking, trying to be engaged in the conversation. Then we talk about the importance of being bold to share the gospel in that context, because one of the biggest things that this environment creates in us is a fear that people don't want to hear and they're not ready to hear. And that's one of the reasons why I called my book The Spiritual Hunger of the Global Youth Culture, because um, I think that one of, you know, we'll look at it and the strongest feeling we get is rejection. People don't want to know anymore and they're closed. Whereas I think in reality, an even stronger aspect is that they are spiritually hungry, even when they don't know. So they're, they're, uh, they're far from God, and yet there's something crying out inside this culture that is saying there is something missing, and, mm. and I, I'm in need, and, and what is that? And if we can connect with that, we can show people and point people to Jesus and say, the reason you feel that way is because you were made to know this, this living God. So we talk about communicating the gospel or speaking the truth into that secular scene. And the third part is making disciples in the scene. And we we try to we talk a lot about how discipleship has often been seen as something that happens once you become a committed church member or something that you do wh where you have to join a program and you, you have to go every week to a lesson or to something that's kind of formalized. And there are a lot of tools that use weekly meetings and Bible studies that are really good and, and super useful and should still be used. But we as a church need to understand that uh, the discipleship that Jesus modeled was one that was very real in, in, in life and in non-religious places and with people who are very far from any kind of commitment yet. And, and if we can understand that, then as we go into the culture and speak truth in the culture, we, re we realize that discipleship is immediately already happening and that it, it is a personal responsibility of each believer and each follower of Jesus to start engaging in that discipleship process from the moment I meet someone who's far from Jesus. So what we ask our teams to, to focus on around the world is going to people, and we'll be encouraging them to go into the places where the gospel is often not preached, going into the pubs and clubs, the parks, the universities, the festivals, and when they're in those places, to be salt and light, to communicate the truth about who Jesus is, is in a bold, in a creative way, but in a bold way, um, and then to make disciples in those places, to recognize that it's their personal responsibility to then walk with the people who are interested in knowing more about Jesus. And so we, we tell our, our, you know, our, the churches we work with and the, the teams we're forming, we say discipleship starts the moment you mm. meet somebody new who's interested, who wants to know more about Jesus. And you walk with that person just like Jesus would, um, helping them understand what it looks like to follow Jesus today. 
Um, mm. Like a passage I, I, I appreciate a lot is in 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul talks about becoming all things to all men. And I, I really enjoy recognizing that kind of context around it and how much he's willing to sacrifice and let go of in terms of his own rights to cross a cultural barrier to reach the Greeks, um, to reach the Gentiles. And when he says that, I become all things to all men, he's, it's like he's saying, I'm, well, he does say, I'm a, I'm a servant to all men, I'm a slave to all men. So he really gives his life um, to the people he's reaching. He talks about how it's for the gospel's sake. Um, and he talks about being a Jew for the Jews. And for me, that's always been really interesting because it's, it was recognizing in a sense that being a Jewish person who follows Jesus looks a bit different to a Greek person who was following Jesus. They would have different questions or different barriers. And so how can we apply that today? So, my, you know, the things I'm asking today is what does it look like for a young person in um, Sydney, Australia to follow Jesus today in, in the university or in whatever um, cultural scene they're more engaged in or in the profession they're more engaged in? How, what does that look like for them? And the only way they can know is if another follower of Jesus comes and shows them and walks with them and says, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus today. So we're trying to encourage a lot more of that. We, we're encouraging our teams to answer some of the difficult questions that people are, are asking today, to recognize what, are, what is the mindset in the culture around us. When I share my faith, when I talk about Jesus, how do people respond? Um, like, for instance, uh, we, we often recognize how... Um, there'll be a, a kind of a pattern that, that is very common. Often it'll start with people uh, saying, you can only really believe the things that you see. And so if you come and talk to me about spiritual things, it's, it's, it's abstract, it's vague for a lot of people. And they, they say, well, you know, if it's something I can buy or I can touch or I can Google it, those are the kind of answers that people know. And, and those things are concrete or absolute, if you like, and, and we'll live our lives based on them. But the big questions of life, the ones that matter the most, are often the ones that people will say, oh, nobody knows, you know, that's, that's everybody's opinion. And, and so, but then living in that, the, they, they'll believe a second idea, which is because of that, I'm here by accident. My life has no purpose. Um, I'm just kind of, you know, nobody really knows the, the answers to where I came from or why I'm here or where I'm going. So it must be just an accident. It's just um, a coincidence. It's random. And, and that is a really hard place to be in if we think about it more deeply, but most people don't go as far as thinking that through too deeply. Even, I mean, I remember asking these questions in university and a lot of my teachers and fellow students would say, I've never really thought about that. And, and that, that's, that's kind of where, how we deal with it in our culture today. We say everything's gonna be okay, which is why it creates so much anxiety in a generation that is going through COVID-19 or going through so much e economic uncertainty because suddenly the, the, one of the ideas we base our culture on that we don't know these answers and yet it's okay, we can just live our lives and live for the moment, suddenly that's not working as well as it used to and there are things that are happening that I don't have control of and that's creating all this anxiety. And finally for me, the, the fourth kind of idea I really look at as, as predominant is the moment you say, okay, well, what if there is a God? Would that not change um, how I see the world? Would it not change um, the fact that I believe that I can only be certain of the things I see? Would there be other things I could be certain of that are, are, are more important than the things I buy? And would I recognize that I'm not here by accident, but that I have a purpose because I was created? 
And would I recognize also that things are not okay, but that there is a way to make those things okay, and it's by meeting my creator. Um, but And most people are okay with saying, well, maybe there's a God. Um, you know, that's, that, that's a possibility. But there's another lie or idea they believe that is a barrier for the gospel, and that is that to know God, I'd have to be religious in the sense that I would have to follow a tradition that maybe my grandparents followed and I don't identify with anymore. So a lot of people will say, I'm not religious. It's like, okay, it's great. It's good for you. But it's, that's not, I don't identify with that. It's not my thing. I'm not religious. And that becomes a barrier for the gospel. And so it's trying to understand those points and communicate across that and to say, well, um, is what do you mean by religious? And, and is following Jesus really that? If people had the chance to meet Jesus and who he really is, would they have those same issues? And I think often the Jesus that people are rejecting is a Jesus that maybe you and I would reject as well because they haven't had the chance to really understand who he is. And that, that's, I think, a really important aspect to cross that cultural barrier and to communicate the gospel today. Yeah. Uh, just before we go, uh, Luke, time's nearly up, but what does the future of the church look like for this global generation? You know, they, they don't want ha what their grandparents had. You know, they're not flocking into our buildings. So um, does it look like meals around pub tables or what What? <laughs> how, what have we got to change? I think that definitely needs to be part of it. I think we need to find different ways in, in, in each of our cities and contexts to go to them rather mm -hmm. than wait for them to come to us. I think that's a major shift that needs to happen in our evangelistic approach. We, in a way, m much of our, our, our church is still functioning on a, um, a model of evangelism that was a come-to-us to model. Mm -hmm. and, and it's uh, sort of having a big Christian meeting, inviting our friends, inviting people to, uh, and then preaching, using the Bible as the basis for preaching. Now, we, of course, the Bible needs to be at the core of everything we do and of our preaching. But I have to recognize that my audience today no longer sees the Bible as an authority. And so that's one change that needs to happen. And the other one is that when I was saying that the, the meeting of doing a meeting and come to us, that needs to change. It really needs to be a lot more of go to them. And if I think, I think if we recognize this cultural gap and see it as a mission, missionary movement into our cities and into and across generations, then the, as a church, we can use the same amount of effort and training and finances and time to do that, the, the same amount that we did to go to the unreached people groups over the last hundred years. And, and I think that's the, the kind of effort that needs to happen yeah. to go to people today. Definitely, and that's uh, what, that's why I love the name Movement Day Movement um, dot org. Uh, it's you know, getting the church to move from the building into the city, uh, taking the gospel. How can people get a copy of your book um, if they're keen to learn more? Yes, it's on Amazon around the world. Brilliant. No, thank, thanks, Luke. Thanks for your time. I know you've had to get up early, but um, great to talk to you again and, and just hear your passion. And I'm sure we've all learned something from that. So God bless. God bless you. It's a privilege to talk to you, Letitia. Thank you.